It feels, uh, it feels almost sacrilegious to do this passage, and it's not Good Friday. Um, I was just thinking, you know, as I was praying, and just as this morning has been developing so far, isn't it pretty awesome that not every Sunday morning is exactly the same? It's really good. Feels kind of weird, you know. You always just expect to kind of show up, you know, sit in your place, talk to the same person, kind of do the same thing. And I'm really grateful that he just changed things up, you know, and just reali- hey, reminds us, hey, this is not not your Sunday; it's my Sunday. Um, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, okay, so John, John chapter 19, and this is all about. You know, we talked last week about Pilate, about Jesus, about the crowds, and how Pilate kind of knew the right thing to do, but he just couldn't come through on it. Um, character was just not there, and, you know, for whatever the reasons are, he just couldn't, he couldn't make the right decision. Couldn't do it. And he was afraid, as the Bible says, he was afraid, and he was, he was afraid about his job, and he was afraid of what the crowds might say and what they might do and how that might come back to him. Uh, and we talked last week about, you know, hopefully um, fear of man isn't strong in our life. Hopefully the crowds don't speak too loud. Hopefully they don't speak too loud. Um, and what happens this week is that we're going to read about Jesus. Actually now, Pilate just... Washes his hands. He says, okay, you guys do what you want to do with him. And so we're going to read about that this morning. And um, that's why I say it feels a little bit sacrilegious because normally this is like a Good Friday type of message. But when you read through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, you just, you know, stumble upon things and, um, oh, well, if it doesn't fit into the church calendar. You know what I mean? Like we still read it. We still go through it. Um, so let's take a look, and we're going to pull some things out, and hopefully uh, there'll be a blessing. Um, so let's take a look, and we're going to pick up uh, John 19. We're going to pick up in verse 37, uh, verse 16. Sorry, verse 16. All right, we're going to take a look at this. So it says, after Pilate, verse 16, I finally Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So, and honestly, like this passage, is this not really like the perfect Valentine's Day passage? It's like really the perfect one. It's love in action right here. Because love is a verb, right? It definitely is a verb. It's a choice. Um, in the beginning, you know, with whoever's around, love comes easy. It, you can easily relate. Um, you can easily feel intimate. Uh, you're just easily thinking the best about each other, and things are going great. And so after a period of time, with whatever relationship, love becomes a choice. I'm going to love this person and give them my best regardless. At some point in time in relationships, it becomes a choice. Um, and that's where things can get difficult. And so Jesus right here has a choice. He doesn't have to go through any of this, but he chooses to. As he said, I, you know, Pilate, you think you're in control. I, I could have a legion down here, and boom, this thing is, is over. I'm choosing to allow this thing to develop and go this way. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross 
he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha, or in Latin is called Calvary. Right? So that's where we get ours, Calvary Chapel. Verse 18, here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, bless you, and Jesus in the middle. Verse 19, Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews who read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. So Pilate, you know, they weren't happy about that. Verse 22, Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written, a.k.a. get over it. Verse 23, when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. So undergarment was seamless. It's like a one piece, probably very expensive, very nice. A lot of people didn't have that. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Verse 24, let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. So it's a valuable piece of clothing. They don't want to rip that up, so they throw in some bets and see who's going to get it. And this happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which was said, they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So they didn't do that because it said in the Old Testament, hey, his clothes can't get ripped or ruined. So even Jesus' wardrobe was like prophetically fulfilled. It's just amazing. All aspects of his life. So, so this is what the soldiers did. Uh, verse 25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, right? so his aunt, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. That disciple is John, who's writing this. So Jesus is on the cross. And kind of the amazing thing is, he's going through a pretty big ordeal, wouldn't you say, on the cross. And he's still looking out, thinking about somebody else, his own mother and John here, and saying, hey, you guys, you're together now. John, take care of her. From that moment on, he took her into his home. Jesus is always thinking towards somebody else, even as he's on the cross dying. It's crazy. Verse 28. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, he's up there, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, and so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. So he's not probably super high in the air, but just high enough where if they put something on the edge of a stick, you know, they could kind of reach him. Verse 30, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. 
And verse 31 now was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. So the soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. When they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it, John, has given testimony. His testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happen so that the Scripture would be fulfilled. It's always about the Scripture being fulfilled. Jesus had tunnel vision as far as what his father said he was supposed to do. He had tunnel vision on it. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. So we see the whole scene really play out. right? We see him carrying his own cross. We see him on the cross. We see that those closest to him, he, he was around a lot of people. A lot of people claim to be his disciples, his followers. They're not recorded there. Maybe they're, hopefully they're far off in the distance somewhere. At least close to the foot of the cross. <laughs> All women, interesting. And, uh, and you have John here. And um, the Jewish authorities, they did not want to have those bodies up there during Passover. And so the tradition was is to make sure everybody comes down off the cross and what they would do is they would break the legs because as they're up there, they'd kind of try to be pushed on their legs, you know, so they can kind of breathe and stay alive longer. Um, and so they would be up there, you know, with the nails, not, pro- not in the hands really so much, but in the wrist, you know, one on each wrist. And then they'd kind of have the leg over like this and kind of going through the shin, you know, and through the cross. And so you'd be trying to push up, you know, trying to breathe. Um, the other two guys apparently were doing that. Um, Jesus apparently just went, you know, he didn't need his legs to be broken. And then they did the spear in the side, uh, make sure he was truly dead. And um, they end up taking him down. And they end up taking care of his body, which we're going to talk about next week, which is very interesting next week as far as who these people are that took his body down and took care of it. Very interesting. Um, but I think our, our, our focus this morning is, number one, uh, if you had to think of images and illustrations to describe love, you'd think of hearts, Valentine's Day. Um, probably think of smiles. You'd think of kisses. Uh, you'd think of, uh, you know, I think I said hugs, but hugs. Um, you'd think of maybe nice words. Um, these are pro- And maybe some other things in, in your mind. I don't know how many people immediately go, you think love, you think cross. I don't know how many people have a mental association there. But truly, that's where Jesus was. And so I I think our focus this morning is I wanted to tackle really one idea. And so if you miss everything this morning after what I'm about to say, hopefully you hold on to this one phrase. Okay? So I'll say it and then we'll repeat it. We have been set free to be free. So say we have been set free... To be free, right? We have been set free to be free. We have been set free to be free. We're going to keep going back to that. 
And that, that's like, the, through that lens, I want to talk about everything today, which is not a lot of stuff. But we have been set free. There we go. We're good. Noontime, we're good. We have been set free to be free. So here's, uh, here's the thought that I have going through uh, my mind as I study this and look at this. Is, it's pretty radical to me um, that you have Jesus who would choose, and the Father, right, who really originated the plan, they would choose this plan to pay a debt for all of humanity and all of mankind. And they chose to pay the debt knowing that they would really never get reciprocation, payment back on that debt. Or in other words, humanity, all of us, Jared, you, right, Rob, Leanne, Georgina, Kayla, put your name in there, we were so far off and so covered in our own filth that there was no hope for us to ever come back. But then you have one that has it all together and totally perfect and nothing but clean and says, you know what, it's totally worth it for me to get dirty and completely pay it off full well knowing that most of mankind won't even respond to it. You know, that just, like, what is that? That's the mindset of heaven. And so I kind of wanted to look a little bit about that today. And so I wanted to talk about two issues. Is really the question is, why did Jesus have to die? Why did he choose to go through with this? Why? Pretty simple question. And I think within the answer to that question is revealed the heart of God. So I hope that you see there's like great value in looking at that question because it helps to really reveal the heart of God. Um, here's the first, the first I, th- I think there's two reasons why Jesus had to die. We'll talk about those two. So here's the first reason. Number one is that Jesus had to pay a debt. He had to pay a debt. So if you're taking notes, that's number one. That's one reason he had to die. Get to number two in a minute. But he had to pay a debt. Now, most of us know a lot about debt. Um, it's just, <laughs> excuse me, the way the world is now, that's like all we function and like live off of is just debt. It's, it's a pretty sad scenario. And you have, you know, these presidential debates and things going on right now, and they're all talking about, you know, debt is, is an issue to be talked about, and our country is like $19 trillion in the hole. It's supposed to grow to some other outrageous, obnoxious number in the next 10 years. Credit card debt is like ridiculous in most people's homes. Student loan debt is just burying people. It's just, it's crazy. A lot of us know a lot about debt, and a lot of us know about the heaviness that that also brings. Um, it brings an anxiety, it brings like heaviness, it brings a shame, it brings a lot of stuff, right? It's very, very powerful. As I was thinking about debt, I tried to think of, um, I was like, you know, when was the first time in my life I was in debt for something? I tried to think about that. And maybe, uh, you know, you could think about this, when was the first time you got in debt? And then I started thinking, I was like, you know, well, maybe it was, 
you know, my first credit card. But I was like, no, it was before that. Because debt is just like you're in a position where you owe somebody something, right? Like you're owing. Somehow you verbally said or signed off somewhere that you would do something, but you didn't pay up for whatever reason. And so my first debt, I thought you guys would appreciate this. My first debt is in second grade. It's my first debt. And there was this kid there at school, and he was like super bully, just a really mean kid, picking on other kids. Um, Totally targeted me as well, just a super mean kid. I could not stand that kid. And um, I think I just forgave him recently. But that stuff goes a long way, though, you know what I mean? It just, it does. It really does, I'm telling you. Um, So I used to bring in a, um, a soccer ball for recess. And for whatever reason, it just became like the thing to do. So you got all these little, you know, six, seven, eight-year-olds running around. We're all doing soccer. Everybody's at recess. We're all doing soccer. So I bring my soccer ball every day. And um, this one day I came in, and I noticed, well, actually, back up. So this kid, this bully, right, he was always trying to take my ball, always trying to take my ball. It's just messed up. You know, it's me, and he was bigger, stronger, you know. He's always trying to take my ball. I'm like, no, no, you know. So I always try to make it a point. When Reese's is over, just fly over to my ball, grab it, you know, and go before. He was kind of dumb. So I had that on him. So he would just easily get distracted or be doing something. And I knew when the bell was coming, and just run it and take off. So I remember one day, he came in with a ridiculously awesome snack for lunchtime. Slim Jim. I wouldn't touch it now, but back then it was awesome. Slim Jim. And he was like giving me a hard time that day. I don't even remember what it was. I said, hey, whatever his name was. Uh, I said, uh, why don't we make a trade in our lunch? You know, my whatever for your Slim Jim. No, no, you know. And so he was like just not being a good guy that day. I said, listen. I said, I'll give you my soccer ball. You give me the Slim Jim. And he was like, really? You're going to give me your soccer ball for the Slim Jim? I said, yeah, I'm going to give you my soccer ball for the Slim Jim. Sure enough, he forked it over. It was delicious. I never brought my soccer ball back to the school ever. (laughs) Never did. That was my first debt. I don't know what your first debt was, but I remember, you know, giving my word to something. Totally fully intended to never pay the kid. Never intended, but it was a way for me to get my Slim Jim, you know. But we got other debts, you know, that where things pile up and things happen. And the name of the game for us is that when we're born into humanity, we're born into a debt. It's a pretty crappy situation if you think about it. Um, we're born into debt. Um, not just because we're born in America. America is covered in debt. But spiritually we're born into debt because we're part of humanity. We're part of mankind. And sin, as soon as we're born, enters into our life. Which is a very unfortunate situation. Right? I mean, that just sounds super unfair. If you take a look, Rob, I think I have a uh, verse back there. Um... 
Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, I'll put it up here. Um, This debt of sin was a big-time problem, and it had to be dealt with. And it was never really dealt with until Jesus. And so this you can't really see very well, but I'll read it. It says, Day after day, every priest stands and performs religious duties. Again and again, he offers the sacrifices, which animal sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered, this priest is Jesus, had offered for all time the sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So there was a system in place where God had set up where in order to deal with sin, not to completely remove it, but to somehow cover it and to somehow have the faith of the person who's giving it be acknowledged that they're sinful. So it didn't completely cover it, at least remove it, but it did show that the person giving it had an understanding of that there was some sin in life that did something that was like not right, displeasing to God, so they offered a sacrifice. And so this debt, the way that that sin was at least accounted for, not totally paid for, but accounted for, was animal sacrifice. And in this passage, it says that all those animal sacrifices all ended with Jesus. He was the one perfect sacrifice that paid the debt for all time that we could never have paid for. They can burn a million lambs, and it ain't going to get rid of that sin. Because the only way that that debt is covered, and this is God's kingdom, and what he's saying, what he says, the only way that sin can be accounted for is with bloodshed. He said it right in the Garden of Eden. It was with bloodshed and with a perfect, sinless sacrifice. That's the only way. Why is that the way? I don't know. That's the way God set up. I, I don't know. But that's what he said. And so an animal isn't really so much it. But Jesus Christ, who's king of the world, who was tempted in every way, and had no sin, he can now cover that debt. I think sometimes, I think there's great value in looking at it like that, because I think sometimes we as Christians could possibly think that God and our debt of sin was sort like if a friend borrowed some money, or they helped pay for dinner or lunch or whatever, they're like, yeah, I'll pay it back. And they're like, nah, you know, whatever, you know, it's, it's fine. I think sometimes people think that maybe God is like that in heaven with our sin, or we just come to him, oh, God, I'm so sorry, you know, I, I shouldn't have, and he's just like, Ah, it's okay. Don't worry about it. It's not so much like that. It was very much like there's a debt of sin that has to be paid and somebody's got to pay it. Justice still has to occur and happen. And so that debt had to be paid, not just forgotten about, but paid. And so Jesus stands in the gap. He's like, I'll pay for it. That's amazing. So the debt, it had to be paid. All of the Old Testament was set up. The law that was given to Moses and the entire Jewish nation was all set up to offer sacrifices and recognize who God is and when they fell short. 
And the way that they understood that is they would give an animal sacrifice of some kind, depending upon what they did, to show that they agree with what God is saying about their life. The entire Old Testament was all about it, up until Jesus was all about it. And then Jesus comes on the scene and completely removes, not totally removes, but fulfills all of that. He fulfills all of that. And then what God says, he says, you know what? Everything that Jesus has done, I will now hand over that inheritance to you. By faith, you you get to enter into that and experience that. That's crazy. That is nuts. That's something synonymous with Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, pick a guy, doesn't really matter, or a woman. They go outside on their lunch break, whatever. They find a homeless man or woman out there. They walk up to him, they say, you know what? Yeah, you're a total mess. Like, I don't know what happened in your life, but you're in a bad spot. I would just literally sign over everything I own to you right here and now. Get the lawyers, it's a done deal. Who does that? The answer is nobody does that. That's an amazing display of love. That's crazy. So I think if we just look at it as God, Jesus, they just needed to pay a debt somehow I think we could still miss the point. So if we look at Jesus hanging on a cross and going through it, well, debt had to be paid, and so he paid it. I think that misses something. When I think that misses, I think that misses the heart. Because if we just look at it as a debt being paid, so, you know, we just you know, write out a check or just sign whatever towards whoever paid in full, any of us can do that. But it's much more than just a debt being paid. What it's also about is it's about number two, God finding great value in who we are. So why did Jesus have to die? Number one, he had to pay a debt. Had to be done. Sin was in the way. It was in the problem. We had no way out. We were stuck. Nothing we could have ever done could have ever been enough to taking care of that issue. Nothing we ever do now will ever be enough to ever take care of that issue. It's only done through Jesus Christ. He's the only one. And we get to receive that in faith. Number two, because we are worth saving to him. Right? So number one, you had to pay a debt. Number two, we're worth saving. We are worth saving. You are worth saving. I am worth saving. Everybody on this planet for all time, apparently God thought was worth saving. Even those that would never respond, even those that would never respond. Worth saving. You saw a tremendous amount of value there. I don't see it. We're really good at consuming things, messing things up, and jacking things up. We're really good at that. And then usually seeing after the fact, all the damage we've done and being like, oh my God, I really screwed that up. We're really good at that. God apparently sees a lot more. 
So maybe you don't believe me that we're worth saving. John 3.16. That's like the verse, right? That's the Christian verse. And you don't have that one in your repertoire. Get it in there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved, 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 loved. Love was driving this ship. It wasn't that there in heaven they're like, you know what? We created all of mankind. Now they're in trouble. They got no way out. Ah, yeah, I guess, you know, we got to do this thing. It was different than that. It was, I love them. There's value. They had no idea what they were doing. Let's go save them and show them what we created them for. That's what I'm saying. If we dig into a little bit about why he died, it reveals the heart of God. He sees great and tremendous value into those that are made into his image. God so loved. Romans 5.8. Can we put that one up there, Rob? I just put a couple of down here, just in case sometimes it's hard for us to get through on this. 5.8. It's up there somewhere. There we go. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. How did he do it? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This thing was driven by love. It wasn't a have-to thing. It was a get-to thing. It was a want-to thing. It was an I want to. It was not just a have-to. It was I actually love them and I like them. One last one, 1 John 4.10. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's love, man. Like he knew ahead of time. He loved us first and sent away and made a way for us. This is how he's describing love. He's describing love as something that sees value and destiny ahead of time and then invests everything into it, even if the people in it can't even see straight. I hope you're getting this. This is really, really important. Because we're called to become this love and reciprocate this love. A love that loves first, sees value first, sees destiny first, and invests into that, even if the party has no idea what's going on and can't even see straight. That very much means there's a very good chance that they will not appreciate it, recognize it, or know what the heck is going on. So please, I hope the basis for our love is not contingent on those circumstances. Right? So why did Jesus have to die? He had to pay a debt. I had to get paid. And he wasn't like, eh. He's like, no. Dad, let's go do it. I'm in. So a debt had to be paid. And number two, he saw value when we didn't even see it. We're worth saving. You are absolutely worth saving. All of mankind was. 
I'm not exactly sure what God is saying, but this is what he's saying. Sometimes that's hard for us to like understand and grasp. But by faith, we have to believe that. Have to. Now, remember we had to like repeat something in the beginning? What was that thing we had to repeat? Yeah, so really loud. There we go. We have been set free to be free. Okay? We have been set free to be free. Tied into our value is also our freedom. In other words, heaven, heaven, (coughs) excuse me, heaven knows nothing about bondage, slavery, um, being a uh, oppressed servant in some way, shape, or form, being under the control and domination of some other person or some other substance or some other situation. Heaven does not know about that. That does not exist in heaven. It very much exists here on earth with what we're familiar with. Many of us know very much about being under control, being in bondage, being locked into things. God is trying to tell us, hey, that's not your destiny, that's not your future. Yes, possibly, probably, perhaps, as we've lived our life, some strongholds have occurred and have happened. Some substances have come into our lives and taken a really prominent place, and it really shouldn't have. Some people have come into our lives and taken a position that they should not have been taking. Or just circumstances and situations have. And God is trying to tell us, hey, listen, I have set you free, so be free. He set us completely free through the death of Jesus Christ set us completely free from sin forever so that when we stand before God, all he sees is Jesus and he sees freedom. He's washed us clean, white as snow. And he didn't just do it so we'd be clean there. He did it so we could also be free here. He did it so we could also be free here. Called to be free. What makes it difficult is that with salvation, accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we do that in a prayer. Happens more or less in a moment. We get a lifetime to live out if that was legit or not. But in a moment, we make that commitment. So we say, Father, I give my life to you now. I accept what Jesus has done on the cross for my life, and I'm choosing to follow after you. And in that moment, when that heart does that, that's a life surrender. And now you have a life, you know, to live that out. But in that moment, assuming it's the right moment, it's a good heart, a genuine heart, a sincere heart, salvation occurs, salvation happens, set free forever. 
The problem with being set free here is that it's not just like a one-time prayer of faith type of thing. Here, it's a many, 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 many moments of faith to declare what God said is true that is actually true in our life. So in the salvation moment, we say, I received Jesus, I'm following after you. But now, to live it out, it's many, 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 Father, I believe what you say about this. I'm going to follow you in this. I believe what you're saying. I'm going to follow you in this. I claim what you're saying, even though I don't see it or feel it or believe it. I claim it because you say it. So, was our slogan? <laughs> we have been set free to be free, right? We have been set free. It's happened. It's already happened. We have been set free, but we got to be free. We actually claim it and live it by faith. Otherwise, we know nothing about this freedom. And so something that's crazy and very hurtful to the church family is a group of people that comes together and sings about freedom and sings a song about it and reads a verse about it, but has no experience at all in their real life about it. That is where the rub is. That is where the enemy is winning battle after battle after battle. Oh, that's fine. They can mentally ascend to freedom, but if they don't actually live it out and know about it and experience it in their life, we still got them. It's no good. No good. He's set us free to be free. Yes, on the other side in heaven, but also here. And many times it comes down to us believing what God has said over what we think, what we've experienced, what we might even think we know. That becomes difficult because that's what faith is. Now, this idea of freedom, I'm not just making up and just like really embellishing on. It's really been all through the Bible. If you want some reading this week, um, Deuteronomy 15 and Leviticus 25. You probably spent a lot of time in those two books. But in case you don't, check those out because a central theme within those two passages is jubilee, something referred to as the year of jubilee. It was set up in God's covenant when there were sacrifices um, and even when there was slavery and there was debt. There was something set up called the year of Jubilee because it was never part of God's plan and his kingdom for us to be enslaved and bondage and addiction to anything. Never was. He's setting Christians free. So way back in the Old Testament, when he first started it, year of Jubilee. And the deal was, every seven years, all debts are wiped clean. All slaves are set free. That's crazy, right? Some people just hear, cool, I don't have to pay anything for seven years, and then I'm good. You know? That was not the idea. The idea was, is that God knows how heavy, burdensome, and overwhelming that power of debt that it has. And he's trying to wipe that clean from our lives. So 
say, listen, every seven years you let them go, you cancel all debts. Start back over again. And then they would just do a huge celebration on that Jubilee year. It was amazing. And do you know that Israel never consistently obeyed the year of Jubilee that God asked for? Never consistently did it. Probably a lot of reasons. I'm sure one of them was finances. Whoa, 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 they owe me so much. Whoa, 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 that slave in my home is doing an awesome job. I can't afford to let them go. Or so-and-so just got sick in my family. Now they can't take care. You can't leave now. You could see how we could do stuff like that, right? But if God had said, hey, let them go, I'll take care of your family, even though maybe the head breadwinner is sick, I'll take care of you. That's faith. But they never consistently done it. And the other thing I tried to study and look at this week, I had a very difficult time doing it. And I don't know if it's true, but wouldn't it be very interesting and very neat? And I think some people believe in it, but I have yet to see some really good reasoning about this. Um, It would be very interesting if Jesus was crucified on the cross in a year of Jubilee. If they technically were to carry it out as God said when he said so and carried it out through the ages, wouldn't it be very cool and very much like God to have a year of Jubilee happen, boom, at Christ's death? That would be very cool. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. Yeah, it takes a lot of history, a lot of homework, a lot of... Sh- have fun with that one. It's probably worth the study, though. But freedom was always meant to be the way for God's people. Always was. So when we choose to put ourselves in situations to where we can be dominated or controlled by something, that's really sinful and not good. And God's saying, I've called you to more. Why why would you do that? In fact, I've equipped you for more. And sometimes we come back to God, well, God, that's all I know. And he's probably saying, yep, now try my way now. He's called to set us free. He's called to set us free. And listen, it's not like any rocket science that, like, you know, our valley as a whole, it struggles with addictions and bondages. It just does. I mean, people are in our church, right? We're trying to break cigarette smoking and going after it, right? Rob, we're trying to go after that thing, right? Eric's going after that thing. Like, and it's not because, here's the thing that's, that's very interesting about that. It's not because I'm calling them up, I'm texting them and saying, hey, listen, this is not good in your life. God has more. Stop doing it. And I'm just badgering the heck out of them. Not doing that. What is happening is that as they continue to come into closer to relationship with God, and as they continue to encounter the heart of God, the Spirit of God was inside of them saying, this is not meant for you. Never was. We're getting rid of this. Please be a willing party. It's going to hold you down and hold you back. Freedom, freedom is how I operate. And over time, the Spirit of God is going to communicate that voice. And so somebody could just be screaming at somebody else, you got to stop, you can't be doing this anymore, da-da-da-da-da. And they might surely probably are right. But many times, it's a significant stronghold. The Spirit of God has got to communicate that to somebody's heart. And that's not to say that people never get clean of anything apart from God. It does happen. 
In those situations, I don't know if God would ever get the glory. Probably not. Number two, a lot of those situations, something ends up getting replaced with something else. We are called to be free. He paid a debt so we would be free. Fully equipped us for it. It's a very powerful thing. And when a Christian really grabs a hold of that, good luck holding that Christian back. There's, there's nothing you can do to them. It's amazing. So we're a forgiven and loved people. And we now have a debt-free, limitless access to God. It's powerful stuff. It's true stuff. I hope we take advantage of it. So let me see if I did a good job with the stuff in the bulletin here. What is the name of the place where Jesus was crucified? We should get that one, right? Golgotha, Calvary, right? Calvary's in Latin. Golgotha, was that Aramaic? What was written on the sign above Jesus' head? King of the Jews. No matter what, he's always the king. Doesn't matter. No matter the situation. They must have been so hot about that. What are you doing? There's a whole reason. He's blasphemous, and now like, you're putting the blasphemy up there. They must have been so hot about that. What was the last thing that Jesus said on the cross? It is finished. It is done. What was done? The payment for sin was done. The payment was done. The mission wasn't totally complete yet because he still had to rise a few days later. Because if he stays dead, we don't have much. There's lots of people that died. And crucifixion, like that wasn't just unique to Jesus. It happened to lots of people for a long time. But there's only one that rose from the dead. So Easter one. Such good news. It's finished. The debt has been paid. Why would Jesus give his life like this? One, to pay a debt. Two, because we were worth saving. Right? The debt had to be paid. But we're also very much worth saving. So there's two levels for the Christian. Level one is just being in agreement with all that stuff we just talked about. Level two, level two is now becoming that love to those around and through our lives. Not just being consumers of it, but being vessels where he can work through us. That's the goal, right? It's a big deal just to get to level one and understand it and be able to receive it. And then level two, so it would be a vessel where you can just work through our life. So Valentine's Day, true love. Hope we're thinking about a cross. Hope we're embracing the fact that God has set us free. He wants us to operate in freedom. So we're not tied back to anything. And we could truly say and sing, I am free, I am free, free indeed. So Rob, can we just play that, uh, that last song? No words up here. That one's on purpose. Um, but listen to them. Get some solid prayer time. And that might consist 
of verbally declaring and confessing some things in our life that God has said is true, but we're having a hard time believing. So the time is just meant to just spend some time with God. Um, and, then, uh, and then Rob's going to come up after the song and pray for us.